And glory to God. Good to see you tonight. How many people here you've been here the whole week, the whole revival? Amen. Glory to God. That enough has blessed my life. I so appreciate it. Again, uh, that you would come to listen to me and then come again. I know some of it's just because you're faithful to God. <laughs> but I appreciate it nonetheless. I do uh, want to express my appreciation for the love offering. Uh, I have four children and they can eat. And so I often tell folks, if you gave tonight, then you have helped do your part to solve world hunger. Amen. And so the Lord bless you. Amen. I had a great time uh, with your pastor, getting to spend time with him, uh, getting to know him again, just sharing. Sometimes we just got together this week. Uh, neither of us were necessarily hungry, but just for the fellowship alone, uh, it's all that's I, I tell you, the longer I. Uh, live and uh, then live for God, uh, life really just comes down to relationship with God and relationship with people. Uh, that's really all it's about. Uh, at the end of the day, you talk to people who are on their deathbed or near, they don't want to talk about anything else, uh, uh, but their relationship with God, especially if they're saved, and their relationships and experiences that they've had with other people. And so I am so privileged to uh, get to meet this congregation, many of you, and to get to know your pastor, his wife, his children better. So if you have your Bibles tonight, uh, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to minister tonight out of a portion of scripture, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I often think, God, if there's any place to preach from, it makes sense to go to the best sermon ever preached. I mean, you know, when Jesus preached, that's probably a pretty good sermon. And uh, I remember going through a period of my uh, uh, pastoring a couple years ago. I was going through a rough, uh, just a season, if you've passed it, trying to just figure out the mind of God and what God wanted me to preach. And I went and turned to the Beatitudes and started preaching Blessed Are They, and it was a powerful sermon series. I'm not going to minister that tonight, but it really uh, ministered to me and ripped me apart because we think, you know, the Beatitudes, the blessing. But I'm telling you, if you uh, study the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. and I mean, these things, Jesus wasn't just preaching some mild, I mean, it will absolutely rip you apart. Uh, to understand what he was saying, what it really means to be blessed. And uh, the world has messed that term up, but I'm telling you, the, uh, his sermon in general, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is phenomenal. I want to minister a portion of that tonight, and I think this will help us as we leave our revival, and it's one of the keys to revival, not only in our own lives, but uh, as a church. Again, Matthew chapter 5, and as you turn there, uh, they speak about the Titanic saying that it stood 24 stories high, weighed 43,000 tons and was the largest moving object ever built at the time. The Titanic, they say, was a ship that was built like none ever before. It was built for the elite. It was luxurious beyond description. It stretched over 250 meters in length. It was held together by over 3 million rivets. Nothing they say had ever been built before with the same combination of size, engineering, and luxury. Prior 
to the Titanic's maiden voyage. The Titanic was actually advertised as the unsinkable ship. Mr. Franklin, who was the vice president of the International Mercantile Marine, was quoted as saying, we are perfectly satisfied that the Titanic is unsinkable. We are absolutely certain that she can handle any amount of damage thrown at her. An employee of the owner, uh, of one of the owners of the vessel had the audacity to declare, not even God could sink this ship. That was at the launch of the Titanic in May 1911. No doubt, many if not most of us know the rest of the story. The Titanic would end up hitting a huge iceberg on the night of April 14, 1912. And within four hours of making contact with that iceberg, the ship sank. Over 1,500 lives were lost that night. So following the tragedy, the, there was outrage. Uh, people were asking questions. Uh, they were asking what speed was the Titanic traveling at. Questions were being asked, uh, what could have caused this tragedy? Questions were being asked of the crew. Could they have done more to salvage more lives uh, on the Titanic when the ship went down? Questions were being asked of the captain. Uh, and could he have done more to protect those on board? There was questions coming from everywhere. But without a doubt, the most anger after the tragedy was regarding the lifeboats that were on that vessel. Um, seeing the construction of the Titanic, one major decision was made that would end up being very fatal. The Titanic had a maximum capacity of 3,327 passengers, and yet they only carried enough lifeboats on the Titanic for 1,178 people. In other words, less than 40% of those on board could have been rescued the night that the Titanic went down. No. Designed to carry 64 lifeboats. But complaints were made by the elite that to have that many boats would be unnecessary. It, it was unsinkable. In fact, the elite would say, said, if we, where are we going to store these lifeboats? It was going to obstruct the view, uh, the beautiful view. And so they decided instead of the 64 lifeboats, they only travel with 20 lifeboats. It said to be too much of a hassle. When I read that they only took 20, I began to ask, how did they come up with 20 lifeboats? Why not 25? Why not 30? Why not 50? How did they come to this number 20? And I found that according to the maritime regulations of that time, listen to this, 20 was the minimum number of lifeboats that they had to have on board. So I want you to think with me now, this the greatest vessel in human history they built. And yet when it came to preserving life on that vessel, they chose the minimum requirements or the very least that they were forced to have is what they chose. And because of this, lives were lost unnecessarily. They learned a very painful lesson that night that there is great danger in only doing the minimum requirements. It's not just true of the Titanic. It's also true of you and I as Christians. That there is great danger. Lives are on the line. 
And when you and I approach our Christianity that I'm going to do what's necessary, I'm going to do my duty or dare even say, I'll just do the least that is required to go to heaven. You might make it to heaven, but other lives might actually be lost. I want to preach a sermon because Jesus begins to deal with this issue in our text, the issue of the minimum requirements. And I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Second Mile Christianity. Matthew chapter 5, very familiar. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Here's verse 41. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Let's pray here tonight. Heavenly Father, we come tonight, God, by the grace of God. Lord, by the blood of your son, Jesus, I thank you, God, for all that you are and all you're doing, all you've done this week. I thank you for your people, God, who partner together as we labor, God, to bring your kingdom down from heaven here on earth and see lives transform by your life and by your precious blood. I ask you today to help me anoint your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Second mile, Christianity. In verse 38 of our text, we are introduced to what is known, according to biblical scholars, as the oldest law in the world. The oldest law are these laws that are being referenced and talked about in Matthew chapter 5. It's actually referencing the Old Testament or the Mosaic law that is found in the book of Exodus. Now, this law is called Lex Talianos, and it was actually the technical name for the law. It literally translates to mean the law of retaliation. In other words, what is simply meant by this, and you can see it, kind of see it in these verses, it meant tit for tat. Or another way to describe it was equal punishment for the crime committed. And so that was kind of the way things worked in those days. Because notice it says, you have heard, or it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so what we're talking about is equal punishment for the crime committed. But you see here that when Jesus is talking, he basically starts off by saying when it comes to this attitude, he says we have a misunderstanding. He's saying you have heard or it's been debated. It's been misquoted, in fact, or mistaught. He's saying what you've heard is not really the way it is. And Jesus comes on the scene. He starts preaching this sermon and it is absolutely confronting what they have learned. He goes a step further and actually introduces us to verse 41. Now, verse 41 is the verse that D.L. Moody, the great preacher, said was his favorite verse throughout his entire life. Verse 41, we read it, and it says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. So let me first just explain what we're talking about here in its context. The ancient Persians, according to history, they started what you and I know to be the Pony Express. This was a mail delivery system, if you will, and what would happen is in Persia, anytime a carrier was needed to take a package or deliver some mail, what the king could do is he could just pick any man, any person at random. If uh, they just needed somebody, they could pick a man and they could say, you're next, you're next in line, you're gonna be the one to ride and deliver the package. This person had no say-so. If they 
said no to the king, then according to the Persian law at that time, you had actually committed the unpardonable sin. If you said no to the king, you could be killed. You could face the death sentence. And so that was the law. Well, the Romans adopted that law. And their law said this, that any land under Roman rule, if a Roman soldier at any time saw something that he needed done for himself, he could snap his fingers, he could simply uh, clap, if you will, he could demand or call somebody out. Typically, he would call a Jewish man out and he could call them out and that person under the law simply had to help him carry his burden or his tools or bag or whatever for one mile. That's the law that's being referred to in this text. Started in Persia, adopted by the Romans. And so the Romans had this, what they called this in Roman imperial law. It went into effect. Again, just any man off the street at a whim, this Roman soldier could stop any man and have him carry his burdens. I want to kind of illustrate this. I ask your pastor to help me here. I want you to, because I want to make it live a little bit. So you got to picture a Jewish man. And we're going to have to get real creative. This is object lesson, children's church. And so say a Jewish man, he's uh, say he's wake. He's waking early in the morning at the dust of the morning, 5 a.m. He's prepared his cart. He's got produce and vegetables and fruit. And he decides, you know, what? I'm going to make my way to the market. I'm going to head down to the town square. I'm going to get there early. I want to get a good spot so I can sell my goods. I got to take care of my family. And he's prepared his whole day, if you will. And he's going to make it to the market. He's going to set up and he's going to be able to provide for his family. And so he's making his way and he's just going, you know, it's kind of a rocky streets, you know, at those times. And, and all all of a sudden, the Jewish man hears a voice and says, hey, you, hey, you. Now, that voice would have been a little familiar, so he's going to just act like he ain't even here. <laughs> hey, you. And then he makes the fatal mistake. He looks back. Ah, you ever been walking in the mall and somebody try to sell you something? And you're cool as long as you don't look at them. That's actually a sales tactic. But anyway, so he looks back. He says, hey, you. And he looks, yeah, you, I'm talking to you. And the Roman soldiers say, hey, I need you to come and carry my burden. Now, if you're the Jewish man, you say, sir, sir, please, sir, can, can you find somebody? I, I'm on my way to the market, but you're going the opposite way, man. And I'm just trying to take care of my family, sir. Please, just today, can you find somebody else? The Roman soldiers say, that ain't my problem. I said, come and carry my burden. And the text says, they would anybody compel you? That word compel means to force beyond reason. It means that it's not just in line with your schedule or what you're doing. It's absolutely against reason. But the Jewish man, what he would have to do according to the law, he would have to leave his produce, leave his cart, leave his oxen, whatever he had, and he would have to go pick up this man's burden and carry it for one mile. Meanwhile, his stuff is just sitting there. He's completely put out. He's completely, uh, uh, his whole uh, plans are absolutely changed, rearranged, even if he can't take care of his family. Now, I want you to think about that and imagine that. I'm going to give you another illustration real quick. 
Your pastor helped me out with some props. Props are to help you remember. You in the, yeah, you smiling. In the turquoise shirt. Come on up, man. You, y'all, don't be looking around. Come on, you. You, been, you like Simon of Cyrene and carry Jesus cross. You're like, man, I was just on my way. You know, what you, you look like you'd do better with that one. Okay. Now, I'm going to put this on. Now, this is my grandson, by the way. Hey, grandson. Nice to meet you. Now, say me and my grandson. Now, we done been out fishing. Let's come on. We done been out fishing. We're like, and we just having a good old time. We didn't call some fish. We about to take it back to grandma, fry it up, and have a good old time. And we just sing, you get a line and I'll get a pole, honey. And we just, you know, we just having a great old time. And then you stay right there. And all of a sudden, hey, you. Hey, you. You hear the voice. And I say, grandson, don't look back. Come on now. Come on. Like, you get a line. Hey, you. Go ahead and look back. Oh, why you do that, man? <laughs> so grandson looked back. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Still, I said, I need you to come and carry my burden. Grandpa say, come on, sir, please. Me and my grandson don't get a lot of time together. I'm just trying to spend some time, some quality time with my grandson. And besides, what, what I'm going to do with him? I mean, I can't just. That ain't my problem. I said, come and carry my burden. And what would happen is under the law, this grandfather would have to stop the quality time he's trying to spend with his grandfather. And he has to say, okay, you run on home to grandma, you let her know I'll be right behind you. Okay, son, I'll be back, I'll be there. And everybody cried. <laughs> well, let's give it a round of applause. Okay, that's it. That's it. Okay. So that is what is happening in our text. The text says they compel, they restrain, they order, demand. And you got to drop whatever you're doing and just follow the order no matter the circumstances. There's no input, there's no say-so, there's no talking back, no comment. Now the expectation was to simply go one mile, period. One mile, no question. If you're familiar, there's an old term that all roads lead to Rome. Anybody heard? And what that comes from is that the Romans, anytime they would conquer any land around them, they would actually build these roads that took them back to the central area headquarters. And between those roads, they would put guideposts, what they called a guidepost, what we would call mile markers. And it would literally be the 1,400 and something steps that constituted a Roman mile, a little bit less than ours today. And they would put these guideposts and they were literally there to carry out this law. They would have these mile markers or these, these guideposts. And it was a very powerful law in the day. So let me show you what the Jewish soldier would do. Now, if you were the Jewish soldier that day, what he would do, he would go catch the light and he'd be counting the steps. 1,441, 1,442, 1,000. And as soon as he got to. There go your stuff. You know how we are. You better be left. I ever see you by yourself. I remember your face. You know how yeah. But that's what he'd do. He'd carry it the one mile and nothing more. Then he'd go back to his car, his oxen, his grandson, whatever he had left. But my point is that's all he had to do to fulfill the law was go one mile. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but we almost live like that today in 2019. 
See, you and I can relate to a day where people only do what's expected of them. Only do what's required, what we have to do, or the minimum requirement. In other words, it's our attitude today. You know, I'm going to do it, but don't ask me to do nothing else. Some of y'all don't believe me. Okay. Let's talk about the workplace. See, when we go to work, we show up, if we're on time, say you got to work at 8. We show up, if we're on time, about 7.59. And then we show up at 7.59, we act like we're early. We start going to the coffee machine. Oh, yeah, mama, give me some coffee. We start talking to folks about the weekend. As your pastor start talking, we start talking about the game. We're like, man, did you see the game? Meanwhile, it's like 8.17. We're just hanging out, man. Like, oh, man, work, work. Oh, it's 8.40. I better, get to, I better start doing something. How is it when it's time to get off? Oh, yeah. oh, say, say you get off at 5. You know what happens? About 4.15, you're like, oh, man, I got to get my stuff together because as soon as this clock hit, I'm about. Right? The boss comes around like, what y'all doing? It's, it's only 4.30. And the moment the clock hit 5 o'clock, pew, TGIF, thank God it's 5. We're out of there. We're home almost. Got to beat the traffic, man. Got to beat the traffic. That's how it is. <laughs> Y'all know it's true. And that's how it was with the Jewish men of that day. They go one mile, only a mile, not a step further. He saw the mile marker as the finish line. It's done, require I'm finished. I obey the law, I'm good to go. And then Jesus comes along. Somebody say, and then Jesus came along. Amen. Then Jesus came along with verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. He was preaching a sermon. And the expectation was one mile and Jesus started preaching, go past the expectation, do extra. Now, here is Jesus preaching the sermon on the mount. See, we love that sermon, but they didn't love it that much. Because the Bible scholars tell us there would have been thousands of people on the side of that mountain and they're listening to Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus starts preaching something they've never heard before. The same thing I'm preaching tonight. It's called Second Mile Christianity. Now can you imagine the Jewish man in that crowd who the law had affected? Who had been compelled to squash his whole day for this inconsiderate Roman soldier? Can you imagine the Jewish man sitting in the service that day who had actually been personally affected, him and his grandson, whole plans ruined by this law. And then Jesus comes saying, hey, if they compel you, just go too. <laughs> you know what? Man, I thought you told me this dude could preach. I didn't show up here. You said this Jesus dude had, had some anointing and stuff, man. But did you hear him? That's easy for him to say. Oh, that's easy for pastor to say. I thought he was the rabbi, the great teacher. Can you imagine the reaction? What in the world is he talking about? See, we got to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not some theoretical, some great philosophical, you know, oh, wouldn't it be cool if people would just go the second mile? That would be, oh. no, no, no. Jesus was actually speaking about how his followers would be known 
He's not talking theory. Now I wonder what would happen if the Jewish man devil done told you wrong. See? That's how the Roman soldier was. So, I wonder what would happen if the Jewish man, he's got the, he's got the, and he's counting out the step, 1,001, 1,441, 42, 43, and when he got to the mile marker, he didn't stop. He just kept walking. Now the Roman soldier thinking, oh, this ain't just a Jewish dude. This dude ain't even got, this is an idiot. <laughs> like this, I picked the right one today. And this dude, so he's just carrying it, man. And when he, he goes a second mile. And when he gets to the second mile, he don't just drop it out. He puts it down, he says, looks at the Roman soldier and I says, sir, I want to thank you today for allowing me to be such a blessing to you. Anytime I can be of a blessing to you, you let me know, sir. See, he thought he was a citizen, but he's realizing that this man he thought was a citizen is actually a soldier like him, but he's just in a different army. He's in the Lord's army. See, the Roman soldier thought he was in control. But the moment he realized, wait a second, I thought I was this dude's master, but he's got a different master. Now all of a sudden, he don't know what to do. He's absolutely confused because he thought he was in control. See, they were taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Equal punishment for the crime committed. We want our rights, but Jesus said, no, second mile Christianity is so much deeper than that because second mile Christianity is where people actually stop seeing us and they start to see him. See, when you go the second mile, people start to see something about you that's absolutely different. They actually see Jesus. See, Jesus was trying to teach them. He can make you go the one mile, but only you can make yourself go the second mile. At first, it's his decision, but the second mile is your decision. No. It's the second mile. Can you imagine this soldier? Can you imagine the expression was, man, I treated this dude so bad. And he didn't even just do it. He, he did double. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us. When we go beyond the minimum or beyond the requirement. One man said the first mile is the slave mile. And the second mile is the smile mile. The first mile is the victim's mile. The second mile is the victor's mile. The first mile is the law mile. But the second mile is the love mile. See, can you imagine the difference it would make because others would see Jesus in us. They would see Christianity for what we say it is. Feet that go, hands that serve, uh, hands and hearts that actually care. Uh, why? Because we've made a decision on our own, not because somebody made us, uh, not because we had to, not because it's the law. See, the Bible says something powerful. It says that Jesus Christ frees us from the law. In other words, Jesus says, if you, the word of God says, I've come to do what the law can never do. 
In other words, the, the law is great. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I just came to do what the law could never do. Why? Because the law actually restrains and restricts. See, the law says, you know what? This is people who live by the law. When they go to tithe, they're like $25 and 38 and one eighth of a cent. <laughs> there it is. Ten percent. But see, when you're not constrained by the law and you give out of love, you're like, oh, I know my tithe say 25. You know what? I'm going to give 50. You know what? I'm going to give 100 today. There you go. See, the law would have restricted me. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you understand, it's like exceeds. The Pharisees were the most righteous people on the planet. They, they lived the letter of the law. But Jesus said, unless it exceeds. Why? Because it was about where their righteousness was coming from. Jesus said, you've got to live above the law. I'm free to live above the law. What a difference. What a testimony. See, first milers, here we are. As first miler Christians, we love our neighbors. That's easy. Second mile Christians, we love our enemies. You see, first milers, oh, we bless those that bless us. But second mile Christianity uh, is uh, we don't just bless those that bless us. We bless those that what? Curse us. First milers do good to those who do good unto you. You're like, oh, brother, you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Oh, you give me a good reference on a man. When you need a job, I'll give you a good reference. But second milers, they do good to those that hate you. First milers, oh, we pray for those who pray for us. You know, you give a conference report, you're like, pray for us as we pray for you. <laughs> he said, that's easy to do. But... Second mile Christians pray for those who spitefully use us. See what Jesus was saying, do a little bit more, go a little bit extra, let them see Christ, let them see genuine, real Christianity. I was witnessing to this guy, uh, his name was Karan. We were out actually street preaching, and he drove his little red Corvette around a couple times, a couple times, and finally he stopped. And Quran, Quran got out and we start talking, people are still preaching, and I'm just kind of talking to him and he starts sharing with me his testimony. He said, yeah, you know, I used to go to church, blah, 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 and I went for like, you know, I went for years and I was very involved and this and that. He said, I said, how long has it been since you've been in church? He said, about a year. And I said, why'd you quit going? He said, because man, they all fake. You know, people, everybody's a hypocrite. They fake up in there. And I said, and I said, well, tell me. He said, yeah, because, you know, when I was struggling, doing this, you know, everybody was reaching out. But the moment I started getting some money, people started acting crazy and funny, and, and, and they're all fake. And, and I was just listening to him. You know, you just listen. I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 amen. Uh, can I say something? He said, oh, yeah, anything, anything. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, oh, I said, can I tell you what I think? He said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I said, I think you fake. <laughs> He's like, that's who he was. He's like, I said, yeah, because you just told me all the stuff they was doing and how their Christianity was hypocrites. And then, the, and then I opened up to this. What we're reading tonight. And I said, Jesus said what you should have been doing instead of leaving them, you should have been loving them. 
Because you're claiming your Christianity is so real, but you can't love nobody who you disagree with. You're like, oh, that's deep, that's deep. I'm like, no, that's not that deep. I think it really ain't that deep. They say that life is lived on only three levels. The hellish, the heavenly level, or the human level. The hellish is people who do, you exchange evil for good. Somebody does good to you and you still treat them wrong. That's hellish. The human level is, hey man, we do good to people who do good to us. That's very human. That's normal. And then you have the heavenly that do, that exchange good for evil. People treat you wrong and you still treat them right. Bible's full of this second mile Christianity theme. I want to look at a few and we're going to pray. Rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he says to them, well, which ones? See, what he's wanting to know, I just want to do enough to get by. Tell me which ones. That's the whole attitude he has. What do I have to do? So Jesus starts talking about second mile stuff. See, so I got the first mile down. He says, if you want to be perfect, this is what Jesus says, that word actually means completion. In other words, Jesus didn't knock him. He said, you know what? He didn't talk bad about the, I've already kept that command. Okay, no problem. Great start. You went mile one. Uh, you got to go one mile. I mean, you got to go to first mile before you can go to second. So Jesus said, but if you want to reach completion, he starts talking to him about second mile. Sell what you have. Give it to the poor. And it was at that point, this man was unwilling to gain eternal life. First mile, no problem. Second mile, I'm cool without heaven. See, he wanted the law. He wanted the rule. What must I do? So Jesus gave him the rule, the law, the commandments. You know, a reason we want to rule many times is because we're really not prepared to give our hearts to anything. That's why we like rules. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is, this is again. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up testing him. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said again, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? The answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, and neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you answer rightly. Go ahead and do that. You're going to live. But he, listen to this, wanting to justify himself. See, that's the issue with first milers. I just want to justify myself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, law experts love to ask these type of questions. The technical, well, who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the whole story about this priest, Levite, blah, blah, blah. Went through it all. They walked on the side. Then he told about the Samaritan man who stopped and did what? Went way out of his way, went to the inn, put the man on his own animal, paid for it, said, tomorrow if there's anything else, when I come back, I'll take care of it again. And then Jesus flips the question on the man. Who do you think was a neighbor? So the neighbor is not, oh, who, who's my neighbor? Whoever you make your neighbor. Whoever you decide to go the second mile for, you have just made them a neighbor. The unprofitable servant in Matthew chapter 5, I could go, go whole into that. We talked about that the other day, the talents. The man buried the talent and uh, what he, he didn't even want to go the first mile. That's why Jesus, I, said, I often said, why did he call him wicked? Because he wouldn't even go the first mile. He said, you at least could have put my money in the bank. Jesus also 
not just preached it, but he lived it. Mark chapter three, verse one, and he entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, the Pharisees, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful? Because he knew that's what they were, at, they were after. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? What Jesus is saying, listen, I know what the law says, but we've got to be above the law. He's saying if we're really going to see life change, you've got to understand, folks, the law restricts. So he asked them the question, but they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved, why? By the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was restored. Then the Pharisees went out immediately and plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. See, it's the law that always caught everybody up. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he made a powerful statement. You know, we got people that are like, well, pastors say and the fellowship, we got to do this, we got to do that. I tell people all the time, you ain't got to do nothing. Well, standards and you got, I said, listen, Jesus on the cross, he made a powerful statement. He said, nobody takes my life. I freely lay it down. See, when you serve like that, it's not like, well, they're making me and I got to. No, 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 no. You have absolutely missed the cross. The cross has freed us to serve. The Jewish people, their roots were slave people. But the cross actually freed them. Now I can, I can put in overtime with Jesus. Joseph in prison, falsely accused. You know the story. Yeah, he's serving the baker and the butler. The Bible says he walks in with a countenance. He's been lied upon, left for dead. Potiphar's wife, falsely accused, put in prison. And he walks into prison and he looks at a dude, his countenance, his countenance kind of sad. It's like, hey, dude, what's up with you? Why are you so sad? Man, listen, we just read that. But if I've been falsely put in prison, I'm walking in prison like, don't, don't even. Man, I'm, what you looking at? Why you in here, man? I ain't even do nothing. I ain't done nothing. I'm innocent. But Joseph in there ministering. Hey, soon as he get in, hey, man, why are you so sad? Oh, man, I can, you know what? I can interpret dreams. In fact, you know what? I can help you get out of here. And he said, when you get out, just remember me. You think they remember him? <laughs> he wasn't sitting up in there like, see, that's why I'll be helping people. See, they're ungrateful, man. They don't ever remember nothing. <laughs> this is how we are. See, we, we're, like, we're like this far from being unsaved. Just me. Okay, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll live with it. Now, some of you, no doubt, are saying, hold up, Pastor Williams. I, I've gone the extra mile, and people don't even care. They don't even give you a, a thank you. They don't even give you a handshake, man. They just, they just come to expect it. I've been there. done that. <laughs> By the way, I have too. You know, Jesus wasn't teaching this second mile Christianity so that we could get something in return. He was teaching it so that people could finally see Jesus in us. I close this story. One of the best illustrations found in Genesis chapter 24. 
Abraham is trying to find a wife for Isaac. Abraham's getting old and he's trying to get his son married off. Isaac was getting old too. He's 40 years old, unmarried. You know really what Abraham was thinking? Dude, it's about time for you to get up out of my house. You know how he's like, if you can't find a wife, I'm going to find one for you. So he sends his servant back to his hometown and he says, man, can you find my son a wife? And the Bible says they, they get on these camels, man, and they, they, they take this, they head in the direction and they come to this well. And behold, the Bible says, Rebecca comes out with a pitcher and the Bible says she's beautiful. And so the servant asked for a drink and listen to this verse 17. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let down her pitcher to her hand, let down her hand and gave him a drink. Now, that's just first mile Christianity. I mean, you ought to be nice to people, ought to serve people. You ought to be a blessing to people. That's first mile. But listen to what she did. Verse 19. And this is what I want you to catch. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, she's just trying to be a blessing. It's hot. It's dry. It's, it's Indio, California. And, you know, that's just her hospitality. That's just her culture, if you will. It's just a part of her character. My point is, she did not know that he was there looking for a wife. She was just doing what was in her to do. She goes the second mile. Now, the Bible says there's 10 camels there. Uh, history tells us that camels can drink about 20 to 30 gallons at a time. Of water. That's two to three hundred gallons of water. Now, I have a 90 gallon fish tank at home. Me and four dudes, if it's filled with water, cannot pick it up. Maybe if I had my man back here, we'd be all right. Water weighs seven pounds per gallon. Three hundred gallons, twenty one hundred pounds. This lady just picked up herself. And nobody even asked her to do it. 2,000 pounds of water. But little did she know that she would end up marrying Isaac. Little did she know that by going the second mile, she was going to be in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. Little did she know that she was going to end up in Jesus' family tree. That by marrying Isaac, the promised seed of Abraham, little did she know that she was putting herself in the plan of salvation, God's plan, all because she went above and beyond the second mile, more than the minimum, simply doing more than expected. And God absolutely blessed her. See, some of you are saying right now, man, Pastor Woods, I'm sure glad we don't live under the Roman law no more. So glad we ain't in Rome. That law don't even affect us. But did you notice in our text, Jesus never said, and when a Roman soldier compels you, Jesus never said, when the imperial law that was passed in Rome is called upon, then you should go. No, he never said that. He said, whosoever, whosoever compels you, it's the same whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved it encompasses anyone at any time you mean that old nasty person at my job yeah her too 
Maybe it's in your ministry. What's cleanup ministry? Don't know. Yeah, cleanup ministry. Successful businessman was once asked the secret of his success. He summed it up in these three words, and then some. He said the difference between the average and the truly successful is top people do what's expected of them, and then some. I ask you tonight, as we close this revival, are you a second mile Christian? When it comes to your marriage, you first mile or second miler? When it comes to your school, your work, first mile or second mile. When it comes, what about your devotional life? If I'm going to finish this Bible, I got to read three chapters a day. Tick. See you tomorrow. When it comes to witnessing, well, it's Saturday. Guess I got a witness today. Meanwhile, Jesus is like, hey, that person over there. You're like, but Jesus, it's Tuesday. I thought we outreach on Saturday at 10 a.m. Jesus was a second miler, folks. He made statements like, that's just a fishing pole, don't worry. He made statements like, I must go through Samaria. But the Samaritans don't like you. I know, but I, I like them. Bible says in Romans 5.8 that Christ died for us when we finally got it together. No, it says, while we were yet sinners, enemies of Christ. He didn't wait for us to get it all cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. It says, yeah, a right, most would die for a righteous man. Some would die. But who would die for a sinner? Christ and his followers. I ask you tonight to Will you be? You say, Pastor, we want revival. We want revival. The key to revival is the moment somebody stops seeing us and they really see Jesus, they'll come to Jesus. They'll come to Jesus. I'm convinced revival lies behind this right here. And what locks it up is that it's just us, man. It's us. We're inviting people. We're doing things. We're reaching. But God, we need a supernatural encounter with people that they would stop seeing us and just get a glimpse of you well, because we make the statement anybody Jesus touch he changes anybody who really sees Jesus they'll be forever changed I ask you to bow your heads with me tonight God we thank you for the